0: Press this little
1: button on three. No, on that one
0: there too. Which one? One? Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Winter Quarter season premiere of Spanglish with Dali.
2: Today we are accompanied by me, Emily, Richie, our treasurer Emilio, and our events coordinator Lupe.
3: Hi everyone, Uh, my name is Emilio, I'm the treasurer of Fredale, a little bit by myself, Um, I'm a junior here at DePaul, Uh, currently a finance major, accounting minor.
1: Hi, my name is Lupe, the event coordinator, Um, welcome back.
0: Uh, Today we're going to talk about the last general body topics of feminist protest in Latin America, the legacy of Kobe Bryant, (laughs) And, and we have a bonus talk on gentrification in Chicago with Emilio and Lupe.
2: Cue the intro Music. First, general body of the quarter, we talked about feminist protests. Um, Our president, Robbie, presented on this topic.
0: And Before we dive deeper into the subject, I would just like to advise our audience that the feminist protests are not a light subject. Uh, We will talk about violence towards women.
2: But don't feel like you can't enjoy the podcast. We will be done talking about the subject at
0: 13th minute, 28th second. So I'm going to count to three to give you a chance to fast forward if you would like to skip it. Uh, one, two, three. I got a chance to speak to Juliana Zanubi's, an 18-year-old immigrant who recently moved to the United States in the last year. In this interview, I focused on the feminist protest against femicides or gender-based murder.
4: Basically, a new president became elected and we had a peace process going on with the, with a the guerrilla group and... This new precedent was not keeping up the government's part of the deal, so a lot of them went back to the arms. They got back their arms and started terrorizing people again, and crime rose, and a lot of things happened, and people started to revolt too. But throughout this whole protest um, spectrum, that's when we started um, replicating the feminist protests from Chile. Um, the
0: protest song she is talking about is El Violador Eres Tu, or The Rapist Is You. It started out in a feminist protest in Chile.
4: So, it was not a protest of its own. It just like merged into the whole like protest that was happening. So you would see, the thing with the, with the strike is that it was very artistic. So it was not just people marching on the street there were people making art there were people singing there was the the national symphony was singing and singing they don't sing they're playing um all over the streets artists were singing um uh, what's his what's his name Carlos Vives and like very famous people were part of the strike um left wing politicians were also marching and even schools but it was very artistic you could see people dancing we had this slogan that if if i can't dance i'm not interested so the part of the strike became this kind of like party in the street where everyone was with everyone and like as you went you would see like the protest towards uh, ending bullfighting and then the protests um, to end the um, the killing of social leaders and then the, um um, agricultural reform like how indigenous people are being treated and um, how there are parts of Colombia that have been forgotten and then on the other side not at the beginning of the protest but like m- the end of November and m- mid-december you started seeing the the protests here and you started singing the song and everyone especially in Bogota I didn't see it first because I'm not in Bogota um, they were, repeating and chanting the the song, the song from Chile, and it became very, very, very popular and viral. It happened in Cali, too. I never got to see it in person, but I was um, I was aware that a lot of my friends went there and marched there. Um, it became ve- a very important thing in the protests, and um, it was like, it was one of the anthems that was present in every single day of the protest because people were out on the street every single day for some so for some reason, and that song was always there. And what was really interesting for me is that first, um, my little cousins were discussing it in school and like both formally and informally, like in classes, but also amongst themselves. And even, this, even like elementary school kids would know about the song. And then one day as I went out to a club, the, the song started playing at a club and people started dancing to it. Um, it became so widely known. That also had like a backfire because people started to satirize it a lot and that was not good. They made it into a joke, especially um, a lot of artists started using it, like started saying that it was not okay, that it was too extreme and that it was leading women to be too obscene on the street and, yeah, things like that. But that didn't stop anyone from doing it on the street, like, from singing it on the street. And I think it was really important.
0: Yeah. Um, I, guess to, I guess to focus a little bit more on the women's protest, because um, that was, like, our subject on, on, on the general body, um, I was looking up some information, and it said that uh, Colombia was— Was like, what is that? Rated, 10th worst country for femicides. Is there like a lot of like, is that felt like a lot of insecurity? I don't know if that's the word, but like Mm -hmm. in Spanish, the word is inseguridad Mm -hmm. uh, for women in Colombia?
4: Yeah, I have not experienced it firsthand, but you get this constant talk from your parents. Don't go out like that. Don't dress like that. Be careful. Be careful. Don't go to clubs by yourself. Um I feel like of feminist sides, that's the word. Yeah, fem-
0: femicide.
4: Femicides um are something that permeated from narco culture in Colombia because <clears throat> killing women was a way of getting attention from the narcos, like killing their women. And it became something to get the general criminal's attention. So if, you, if someone has a grudge on you, they're not gonna go for you, they're gonna go for your wife or your daughters. So it is, it, and it is something that we very easily say. Like there's actually a couple of um, songs, Not I don't know them at the top of my head, but um, they threaten people and they threaten their moms or their wives, or their daughters. It's not. It's never a direct threat to them. Okay, and the cities too. Um, You're not supposed to get a taxi by yourself. You're not supposed to basically go out by yourself. It's, it's not safe. And well, that's what I'm told by my mom, at least. And in Bogota, like I was saying, I didn't go to study there because a couple, I think six or seven girls disappeared from college campuses. And I, I never knew what actually happened to them, but I know that they disappeared from private universities. So it was not a bad place. Um, yeah, now that you put it that way, there are a lot of, um, killings of women, femicides in Colombia. Like the patriarchy is very strong in Colombia. Um, women are portrayed as this thing, this perfect, like trophy that men have and they are just supposed to look pretty and just be with the man and that's also has a lot to do with the narco culture because they were the narco trof- trophies and they were girls and everything and they were all perfect and operated and all these things so I think that Colombia never actually recovered from it, Is it Medellin?
0: I remember you also saying uh, how, the, how the feminist protest song the mm-hmm. how to go um yeah El Rapista eres tu too, um was also adapted into like, like you said a, a nightclub yes um was that like an appropriate thing or did you feel like it was like oh wait why are we doing this like or did you think like this is good or what was what was your like reaction or I guess the environment's reaction also
4: um I have a lot of mixed feelings about it because appropriate and inappropriate in Colombia is a very very thin line um there are not a lot of boundaries and you can basically say anything you want um I feel like on the good side people actually knew the lyrics people knew the song and they could sing the whole thing and the whole thing was playing in the nightclub with a different rhythm like it was like more like electronic music how do you call it? You you call it electronic music? electronic. Yeah,
0: right. Or I guess something more with a uh, something to dance to. I'm yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah. It, yeah. Was,
4: it was more like dance music, but people knew the whole song. So I feel like that's good because something has to stay in your head. Something good has to stay in your head. Like something like bad things stay in your head when you sing reggaeton. Like something good has to come from like learning the song, even if it's just for f- the fun of it. But on the other side, it, like as I said before, it was. Very satirized. It was just it lost a lot of value, um, but again, I feel like uh, as the country Colombia is that everything is turned as a possibility of a party, and people are very. I guess that's good though. I guess it's it's a part of it's a part of us to make everything a party. It's just even when something bad happens you go out because you want to feel better about it so I feel like it was gonna happen anyway and it happens with everything it did take a little bit of its relevance away but I don't I don't think it was that bad for it um I feel like it's still relevant and people still respect it and I think it doesn't it doesn't really mean that you don't respect it if you dance it at a club
0: I think. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for your time. How do you compare resistance in Latin America to resistance in the United States?
1: So after seeing the Chilean protests, I definitely saw a complete difference in American protests versus Chile- Chilean protests. I can't speak for other places in Latin America, but as we see in like the U.S., even downtown Chicago, when there's a protest, it's usually pretty quiet. If you if you if you are downtown, you'll know it happened, but generally, you may not know how much it happened. But the Chilean process was incredibly powered powerful coordinated and they had such a creative aspect to it that it had so much coverage and i think the reason that they had so much coverage is that they absolutely needed it because they are smaller and they needed coverage to make any actual change
3: yeah so um to touch up on that so i actually went to a feminist protest about two years ago uh down in the, <clears throat> the loop area in downtown and so I can't really speak on what the experience is like going to Latin America to witness one of these, but I can say from watching the video and experiencing one here that there's a lot more passion and just want for a change in Latin America. Like they are directing it, whereas here it's it's obviously there's some you know power, some significance behind it, but it's not really directive towards someone. Sort of like general, and maybe you might get a little confused on.
0: Yeah, and how can we? bring this conversation that we're having in in these spaces, how can we bring that conversation into what we do in everyday practice?
3: I think that we can uplift women in our community, within our community, sorry, by, I'd say, encouraging more leadership encouraging more females to do leadership roles. As you see in the protests, they were, you know, mentioning how the state, the president, you know, it's oppressive. What if there was a higher female presence within these countries you know what i'm saying
2: freak out yo
0: and for our second general body meeting we talked about uh, the legacy of kobe bryant and the tragedy of his death on january 26th why do you think it was important that we that we talked about this at all
2: i believe this is such an important topic because kobe bryant was truly one of the Greatest NBA players of all time, but not only was he one of the best basketball players, he was actually very immersed in his community, along with like the like the Latinx community, along with empowering women. Um, Kobe Bryant did a lot. He considered himself a girl dad, which for me, I think is so important because my dad is a girl dad. Um, so it's just like nice to see that. There are people, especially like Kobe Bryant, who have such an influential impact on literally the world to empower women. And it's like, oh, if Kobe Bryant does this, I'm going to do it. So it's nice because he was always just encouraging and uplifting everybody he surrounded. Um, And he had so many followers and so many people looked up to him as an idol. And for me, Kobe Bryant was just like, i don't know what was the word i'm just going to say like yeah um he was just like untouchable so to hear someone like this at such who i thought so highly of and like pass away the way he did in a helicopter crash is just unbelievable and like i still can't believe it today honestly
3: yeah so i mean it's uh very bad tragedy and you know prayers out to kobe's family extended family um so i remember when i was when i was little because i was i used to play sports as well so i kind of you know try to have that ma- mamba mentality so um <clears throat> i typically sometimes just watch motivational videos and who was always on it kobe bryant and i really you know gave me goosebumps kind of, kind of just seeing him you know you're just so dominant on the court and it sort of uplifted me in a way you know, be like, oh, okay, I can be this dominant in anything that I do. And then not just, like, not just in basketball, but Kobe was very, very influential outside of it as well. I was listening to a podcast where he was he was, um, um, investing in his community. Uh, he was being, like, a huge coach, mentor to his daughter. You know, I think she was, probably, she was most likely going to be a WNBA prospect. And to kind of think that, you know, Kobe, coming from the NBA, and I was listening to, like, uh, I think Kobe was like, "What's like? Here's some fancy say, like, uh, you know, if you had a son, you know, what if you brought him to the NBA? But Kobe was worried about kind of just continuing his legacy, like, for uh, the NBA, which is, you know, may receive more attention than WNBA, but he was so focused on his daughter's career and it shows that he really wanted everyone to succeed as well. So, and also... Um, I mean, he was only 41, and he was just starting his career because uh, he retired from basketball not that long ago. So he st- he had his life still, you know, his life was still going to prosper for many, many years.
2: Kobe Bryant, growing up, I would I was a huge Spurs fan, and it was always a rival between the Lakers and the Spurs. And it was always, every time we played them, it was like, man, we have Kobe Bryant today and the Lakers. Like, gosh, like, how are the Spurs going to do? And... It was just incredible to watch someone like this. Like Emilio said, his Mamba mentality. I, too, growing up played sports, and I was like, I want to be number eight. You know, like Kobe Bryant is unbelievable. Like, he's so, he's unstoppable on the court, and, like, I want to be unstoppable on the field. But going back to the interview, it was um, a sportscaster, I believe, on ESPN who was eight months pregnant and he the first this she said it was the first time he had ever she had ever met kobe bryant and the first thing he says was oh my gosh how many months are you um do you know what you're having and she's like i'm having a girl and he goes man i love girls i love being a girl dad and back to what you were saying like his interview they were like, "Oh, you need to have a boy." Like people were telling him that he needs to have a boy to carry on his NBA legacy, and he's like, "No, like I have my daughter to carry on my legacy in the WNBA. She's better than me than I was at age 13. Um, and he's saying that he's like, "I could have five more daughters if I like if I wanted to," and it's just like so amazing how much he. Was surrounded by all these women and still managed to like uplift and up- uplift everyone around him and especially like through his daughters which he you know like he died doing what he loved best which was being a dad to his girls
0: yeah i mean you could go into how kobe was an 18 time all-star or how many champion champion or how many championships he's had or the gold uh, medals at the olympics but uh I don't think that captures just how well-rounded uh, Kobe really was. Um You know, he was very proud that his uh, wife, Vanessa, was Mexican. You know, he said his wife is Mexicana. Um, How his daughters were Mexicanas. And how much he was embraced by the Latino community when he moved to...
2: So Kobe Bryant it really expressed his appreciation for... Like the Latinx community beyond the basketball court, uh, he actually visited um, this restaurant in Fullerton, which was his wife's favorite, called El Camino Real. Um, and every time he would order, he always greeted the staff or customers in Spanish, and he would always get his favorite meal, which was flan and garanitas, which is which is really funny. That's like a good, like a nice traditional meal that he would always get. He all like in an interview, like in interviews, he would speak Spanish um, if he was being interviewed in Spanish. And I mean, he was multilingual; he spoke English, Italian, and Spanish. Um, but it's just like going the extra mile of embracing the language and the culture to show respect to his fans, who were those of the Latinx community. Um, I think is significant. I know in an interview. Um, He said, my Latino fans are very important to me because they were the first ones who embraced me the most when I first got here to the NBA. Um, And he was just really proud of his wife and his kids and where they came from.
0: We would like to honor Kobe Bryant by having an eight-second moment of silence. Thank you. Okay, so for the next topic, we will be talking to Emilio and Lupe about gentrification in the city of Chicago. Just for some transparency, uh, could you tell me where you reside and
3: where you're from? Yeah, sure. So um, I currently live in commute to from Paul back from my house. live from the south side of Chicago uh, by the Garfield Ridge area. Isn't the south side? It is the south side. It's the south side. Just an FYI. Just to be transparent, it is the south side. Yeah.
1: Okay. I am also from the Garfield Ridge area. South
3: side. All right, cool. So,
0: um... I know you guys know a little thing about gentrification and had some things to say about it, and I'm just going to give you the opportunity to, to talk about it.
3: Yeah, so <clears throat> I guess I'll just start off by, you know, how I got into doing some more research into gentrification. So frequently I commute coming from the South, going towards a loop. So often I pass through, especially like around my area, there's a lot of Hispanic communities, uh, which is, the I guess, the predominant background there so one thing i noticed driving up from where i live to up through some of the areas are like little village pilsen mckinley park uh, brighton park sometimes i occasionally go up north to like humboldt park logan square um avondale and some of these communities are predominantly hispanic so you start to notice how historically a lot of these because they're predominantly minority communities a lot of these areas are undeveloped from lack of funding coming from the city but then over the recent years you start to see these new condos new structures new buildings um which kind of you know raises an eyebrow like uh, is there you know a spike in income From these, you know, from the jobs around these areas, is there finally more funding coming from the city? And it makes you wonder, like, what's going on? So,
1: yeah, Yeah, talking about talking about gentrification what may come as a surprise to some people is that Lincoln Park was not was not always a white north side neighborhood. It used to be a Puerto Rican working class neighborhood, and it seems to be one of the first places gentrification really happened in Chicago.
3: Beginning about the nineteen fifties, the city laid out new urban development, uh, new urban development plans for. I guess you see some of the signs that say, "quote building a new Chicago." Maybe what this meant to developers was to, you know, redevelop, beaten down old, mm, maybe impoverished, buildings in uh, impoverished communities, and then, obviously, be And as a result, that hikes up the rent price, which a lot of these communities couldn't afford. And then aside from that, one thing that we also see recently going on is many middle to upper class families from suburbs are starting to transition into areas around Chicago, more closer to downtown. As a result of their job opportunities are closer in downtown. They want to be closer to the city. Um, closer to transportation because Chicago does have a really good transportation system as we all know. and so these developers building these new uh, units, homes, condos for these uh, incoming suburban families it's kind of like a it's kind of like a a rowing train like it's gonna it's definitely gonna continue for a while. but as a result, the train that's getting detached is these already est- established uh, communities typically minorities that are are living in there because that many of these communities can't afford the rents. As a result, they either get displaced to somewhere else or try to transition to another community around Chicago. And then some of those communities that, that had to
1: be in the, what's called the green zone to stay in the city. And then some of those communities that, that, had to be in the what's called the green zone to stay in the city. People would come in and pay as much as they could to make sure they were in that green zone, despite moving out other people who were already in that area.
0: Yeah, so Lincoln Park gentrification in the late '60s, early '70s was very tethered to the Paul University uh, being in Lincoln Park. Very um, no, before then, there was a lot of uh, Puerto Rican. A lot of Puerto Rican activists, such as the Young Lords.
1: Adding on to what Richie said, he's right. Um, Lincoln Park used to be at the bottom quartile of neighborhoods, with the, and the medium income of Lincoln Park wasn't even in the medium, and it didn't become get into the medium income of a city as a whole until 1980. And now, currently, an average income in Lincoln Park is $94,000, and 82% of people living in the area have a college degree.
3: Yeah, um, interesting point, guys. Um, one thing I would also like to mention, as I was listening to a podcast about this today, is that uh, these, <coughs> excuse me, these um these families from the suburbs moving into these um, communities around Chicago, you begin to question like, are they intentionally doing this? Or are they simply just trying to find a place to live? And they could be a little naive of you know what gentr- what gentrification is really what really what it really is like why like they, that's not their intention so i was listening to this podcast and they mentioned like three different interpretations for gentrification so gentrification itself displacement and succession so gentrification we just touched up upon pretty well um displacement would be that developers and um more well-off families are intentionally moving into these communities to push out um, the more, the less, the more impoverished families, uh, for whatever reasons. Succession would be sort of like an abandoned, uh, abandoned neighborhood with abandoned community, or not so much abandoned, but really, really vacant area with n- not much development at all. And as a result, uh, more funding goes into the area to build it up, which, um, You don't see a lot around Chicago because, and we have such a large population and many, many, many communities, but there's still everyone loves living in the city. So from my experience, I haven't seen too much vacant area, but I'm curious to see how this process continues, if it does, and how the city will respond. Uh, I know that they are trying to curb this gentrification process that's happening really fast by rent control, but um, you know, rents is, you know, rent can't really be controlled by a city because every community varies. And then I feel like that's largely depicted by the um, the owners, the landlords of the place. Um, housing, the housing market will determine rent. Typically, a s- prospering housing market will just drive up prices, drive up values of homes. So curious to see where this goes.
1: Yeah. Some neighborhoods that we currently see under the process of gentrification now would be like Humble Park, Avildale, and Pilsen. Some recommendations for bringing um, ser- some of these owners back into the city. According to ChicagoOMAG.com, a big way to stop in gentrification could possibly be to invest in neighborhoods outside... Um, of the zones of affluence. The zones have have already been gentrified, both for people who already live there. And so people who move here are deciding that they're going to bid up all the prices and push people out of the areas close to the neighborhoods by already having suitable suitable schools and suitable marketplaces and food locations so that when they move here, they don't bid up the prices to get better. Or more resources, the resources should already be there, and that could stop gentrification.
3: So yeah, uh, touching up on that, great uh, input, Lupe. Um, so I've you know I've looked more into the the way the city you know funds certain areas, and you know Chicago, as we know it, is a very um, environmentally segregated city meaning that it's you know the the wealth varies greatly per community and even though like chicago is maybe a small like a smaller city compared to other big cities like new york or maybe some of the cities in california like la um we still see that we still see that very drastic uh change in what area is developed and what area is underdeveloped so one thing i noticed is that <clears throat> For many years, we see that some of these more wealthy communities get a lot of new developments. You know, new schools, new buildings. Uh, maybe even some companies are moving headquarters. Some fact, not not so much factories, um, but headquarters, uh, job opportunities in these wealthy areas. And you ha- you don't see that much in the more uh, minority, uh, uh, predominantly minority communities. I've seen a lot of. Areas that haven't changed since I was little, and it makes you wonder: like, when is a city going to acknowledge that? In order to have a prosperous city, that you need to the you need to fund all sorts of different areas so that they can prosper at an equal pace. Not just divest everything into one area because what wealthy families live there. No, you have to separate that that funding into different areas so that way we can establish some kind of norm, um, some equilibrium to achieve a prosperous city because that way everyone is more well, uh, that way everyone is living better.
0: Well, here I I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of something by Brianna L. Urena Ravelo, um, an article she wrote for medium.com. It's true gentrification isn't the new colonialism. It's just the old one. And she writes Ghettos, favelas, slums, and barrios, like preserves and reservations are white constructed concentrations of exclusions and racialized poverty where violence of all sorts flourishes. And when, those get, and when those bases gets gentrified, whether through the ignoring of treaties to exploit land and resources or the influx of wider, more affluent class and race foreign masses, forces removal, mass force exodus and migration, Rape, invasion, over policing the death, destruction, and dismantlement of existent vibrant cultures, and so much more occurs. Trauma and PTSD is handed down. The cycle continues, and the people of those and places, the people of those experiences and places, are the descendants of yesterday's colonialism and displacement. Re-experiencing the trauma of the past in the current day, it happens here and globally. Thank you for listening to Spangs with Dale and we'll catch you on the next one. This has been Richie speaking.
3: And this is Emilio. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening to our
1: Oh uh, and this is Lupe. Adios. Le pusiste final a esto Le pusiste final, punto